Crop It Like It's Hot, brought to you by Arable Farming Magazine and the Crop Tech Show, and sponsored by Yara, the crop nutrition company. As always, you can get one basis CPD point for tuning in by emailing your registration number along with the podcast title to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk. I'm Alice Dyer, and today we're going to be looking at the role of livestock in the arable rotation. Now, long gone are the days that mixed farms are the majority, and while we don't expect to see that changing anytime soon, with cover crops being more widely grown and a need to lengthen that rotation, they certainly have a place. We're going to hear about the benefits to soil health, crop health, possibly even finances, and how you could give a new entrant a helping hand without any of the hassle associated with actually keeping animals. We've got a packed programme today with farmers and agronomists, but first up, let me introduce Liz Geneva. Liz is a beef and sheep consultant and specialises in grass and forage. She also does a lot of work with mixed farmers. So Liz, I guess mixed farms were a lot more popular a few decades ago than they are now, but we're seeing this move towards more people wanting to have livestock back in their rotation. And there's a few ways to go about that, isn't there? Um, so I think it, we've, there, is, there was always mixed farms about, but I suppose we ended up, or a lot of people ended up becoming more specialist. Um, and then between and then one or two generations happened. And for a lot of farms, they've got now got no experience of livestock on those farms um and but what i find interesting is that it's generally most farms within that one or two generations have some background so it's sort of it's trying to work out how they fit or they've a lot of people are putting in different sort of um break crops or using grass within break crops so it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have livestock per se Mm. it's just transitioning them away from that very wheat wheat oilseed rate rotation yeah so um so i think livestock is part of it but i think it's also sort of an approach from a sort of specialist arable farm but they need to think about widening those rotations and for some people livestock is is part of that for other people it's growing grass or food for other people's livestock or sometimes it's growing grass for a biodigester but um it's but it's part of it's a sort of cost effective decision to widen that rotation to reduce um sort of weed or resistant weeds or other issues that are they're finding in those fields yeah, and I guess, as you say, a lot of these farms, they were mixed in the past, but now yeah. they've kind of gone one way. So a lot of them might actually have some of the infrastructure already there. But how would an arable farmer maybe go about determining what's best for their system or which species would be best suited to their system? So I suppose the entry way into a lot of, for a lot of people would be to put in a winter forage crop. So it could be after a, um, a barley or a wheat. And so it could be a stubble turnip or an equivalent or even some cover crops that are grazable. Um, so that tends to be how people start to introduce livestock back in. And that could be that they're renting that out or um, doing for other people's stock to come onto that land. What we What's brilliant about sheep and and a lot of this just means it will be sheep, but cattle as well, is they can utilise a huge range of forages. Um, so not a lot of the cover crops, or the mixtures that are now being said as cover crops, have never really been thought about from a livestock feeding perspective. So we have to be, we sometimes have to be careful about what some of those mixtures are. Mm-hmm. But a huge proportion of those cover crops can be utilised by sheep if they're introduced carefully onto those crops and if that's managed quite well. So I think there's there's inherent flexibility in terms of what can be sown. And that, I think, leads to some of the confusion because it's quite difficult to know where to start. But a lot of people start with sort of a winter-type crop and rent that out um, for someone else's sheep. They see then potentially see the benefit for, that, um, for the rotation and then either increase the area so certainly countryside stewardship's helped sort of engage people with different ways of using that land or converting arable into sort of herbal lays or more grass lays so that's another route so that's sort of encouraging people down other routes by doing it via a payment i suppose on a payment schedule Mm -hmm. um 
but a lot of the, it's sort of that gradual introduction so then for some people they see livestock back on the farm and then want to get their own herd or flock um, or some people are very happy with the arrangement and actually they're buying it in as a service then I mean it's they're someone else's animals that they're buying into their farm but they're willing to grow the crop for them I always think it's brilliant from an animal farm perspective is because this sounds ridiculous because they know what to do in terms of growing crops the vast majority of those forage crops as long as they've selected the right ones are really are growing very well so it's doing we sometimes struggle with livestock farmers who are reseeding because they're not used to that process of establishing crops and all of the various um, issues associated with it well obviously the, that's what animal farmers do extremely well yeah they've kind of already got that skill set yeah. And I suppose a lot of arable farmers won't want the hassle of having livestock there or they won't have the knowledge as well. Yeah, definitely. In terms of teaming up with people, you've launched Carbon Dating. So I just wondered yeah. if you could tell us how that works and the reason for launching it. So Carbon Dating is a basically, I delightfully put it as a hookup service for livestock farmers <laughs> who want land and arable farmers who want livestock. And this is based on the assumption that I've quite a lot of conversations with, um, from a livestock perspective, that the number of sheep or cattle they have on the farm, um, it leads to problems in terms of wintering. So in terms of higher wintering costs are required, in terms of forage supplies, they need different options in terms of getting that stock through the winter on the land they've got. And actually for a lot of them, they've identified that moving those animals on to keep or onto another farm is actually has a major advantage for what they can grow in the spring so i'm talking to a lot of livestock farmers about their systems and actually getting that stock off farm for a couple of months of the year would be a really good advantage for their business and then i talked to other arable farmers or sort of arable farmers sorry who have low organic matter during their they're struggling from a soil health perspective and mm. um, and uh, so for years, a lot of us have said, oh, what we need is someone to put these two sort of people who want more land and people who want more stock together. And then it got to a point where um, nobody was doing it and I thought it was a good idea to start it. And it started very simply, which is I'm just collating people's details and then circulating it around. Um, so it's it's a very relatively simple service, but it's just trying to start that initial conversation sometimes it won't necessarily work um it's not in the right area it's not the right amount but it's starting these conversations going between livestock and arable farmers that historically was probably reliant on someone you went to college or university or someone who is related to somebody you know yeah so it's it's trying to move away from um it's just trying to open up those conversations and to get a wider network of people talking really yeah that sounds great and i guess you know for young farmers and stuff that maybe don't have a lot of contacts in the farming industry as well that's a great way to connect up with people yeah and i think and it, is, it provides opportunities and some of those arable farmers doing I mean, that's part of what they're trying to achieve is to give people opportunities yeah um I mean, we also have to be realistic that they also need to make money off that land but they've also started to think about it longer than that one year of rent or two years of rent versus actually what's the sort of longer term benefit within their arable lay so there is there needs to be some quite some of the sort of negotiations around rent can be quite challenging just because of that short-term versus long-term gain approach but i think a lot of not a lot but some of those farmers are also looking for opportunities to help others yeah, and working with other farmers and kind of supporting the next generation of um, young farmers coming into the industry is something we're going to be covering later on. Thank you very much, Liz. No worries. Now it's time to hear some on-farm experience. So we've got Callum Weir here. He's farm manager of the National Trust Organic Wimpole Estate in Cambridgeshire. And they're doing a few different things with livestock, most notably the introduction of short-term lays to the arable rotation. Hi, Callum. How are you? Hi, Alice. Very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. So as we've just heard, there is this growing interest for farmers to reintroduce livestock now particularly as a lot of them have started growing cover crops and things. 
so yeah I thought it would be great to hear your experience and and the benefits really I mean obviously it's a mixed enterprise what you're doing anyway so it might not resonate with everyone in that you know if they've got a purely arable farm they're not they're probably not going to go out and buy loads of livestock but you know there's other ways to do it isn't there there's different ways of, of working it we have our own livestock um which uh the 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 benefit of integrating those with our arable we we value that as as an enterprise in itself to the arable business um then we work with a grazier um and then also with the we also we also make silage that we sell um so all those things mean that what, what in our organic rotation our rough rotation is two years of grass, clover, lay, herbal lay, whatever, and then three years of cropping. And if I can at least make those two grass years cost neutral or even make a little bit of a profit, it really does mean that the cropping uh, brings in the money. Whereas if I was, for example, spending huge amounts of time, uh, sorry, money and time, um, on those lays, you know, seed costs and cultivation costs and topping, whatever. That's meaning those those two years are, 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 are costing me as opposed to being cost neutral. So that that's basically my ethos. How can I create two years cost neutral grass? Then the benefits I really see in three years of combinable cropping. Okay, because you have quite an array of livestock on the estate. You've got sheep, yeah. pigs, cows, and chickens. Yeah. So, do all of those kind of fit into the arable side of things, or is there one specific one that's really beneficial? So how, how it works is that um, our um, our chickens. So, talking about the chickens, our chickens graze uh, a set part of our farm with a sort of movable house and um uh they they do a good job i mean they uh, it's, it's a profitable enterprise because we can market those eggs directly to our our um supporters and our visitors on the estate and what is really interesting to note is that when we sort of move the chickens and then um crop an area that where the chickens were um you, the the nitrogen that you get from their manure is just so so noticeable um, and the benefits of the cropping and how clean the cropping is. Um, uh, the, the challenge to our chickens is we've got 300 and we're cropping 200 hectares. So they only can have that benefit on a relatively small area, but they definitely bring huge amounts of benefits, not only in fertiliser, but also in weed control. Um, but it's still a relatively small part of what we do. With the sheep, what we we were struggling with our rare breeds to finish them as fat lambs. So we're, what was happening before is that we were we were lambing, we were, they were grazing the parkland, we were getting to November time, running up grass, slightly overgrazing things, parkland getting hammered a bit in terms of worm burden, mm-hmm. and we still weren't finishing fat lambs. Um, so what we did was we moved. Uh, to putting lambs on our herbal lays as part of our organic arable system. And to be honest, that was just such a learning curve for us because we weren't doing that before. And um, initially we started with um, with only 14 lambs. We just did a little trial. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we did 14 uh, on, on, a, on a part of an arable field. And, and the sheep got out, and then we put back in again. And then <laughs> they got out, and then we put back in again. And the third time we got out, and... Um, you know, we uh, some of the guys were like, right, you know, this, this is not working. We're right, we're going to get the stock box. We're going to put it back on the park. And um, it took us a bit of time to realise that it wasn't just the sheep who had to learn to work with electric fencing. We had to learn to work with it as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're learning the tricks because it's all new to us. You know, and and um, we went from fourteen lambs four years ago to fifty odds. Um, and growing it and growing it and growing it and now we're putting about 150 lambs um, all, all our lambs um, uh, 150 males and then some females as well so, um, on the lays and 
everyone's seeing the benefits. So the parkland's getting a bit of a rest. The lambs are better. They aren't. I don't have as much worm burden. They're finishing as fat lambs. Um, and the the fields are after the lambs are cleaner, uh, more fertile. So it's really working quite well for us that we can sort of with those lambs. Um, we, we, we don't do the mob grazing kind of thing. We just, we sort of move them field by field, but they're quite densely stocked. Um, and it's, and it's, and, and we kind of just have to check on them and that's that. And it, and it works perfectly, um, for our system. Um, and yeah, uh, so we're, we're really pleased with how we've sort of learned and adapted and that premium of taking a stalk from a store lamb to a fat lamb. Mm-hmm. We don't attribute that to the livestock enterprise. We, we, we take that, we put that into the arable enterprise, um, which helps sort of, as I said, fund the seed costs, because it's really a benefit of an arable system. Um, and then we do that sort of, uh, so we, we, we put them, our, our, our lambs in there last week, and um, they're doing great, and then we so they stay on there till January, so we, we also allows us to get in a price premium in the, in the market, um, a seasonal price premium. And then, um, yeah, and then, uh, so that's how that works um, with our rare breed lambs. And then with our cattle, the benefit that they get is not so much, um, they don't graze the lays, but we, we make silage um, for them and um, from, the, from the lays. And I just tend to feel that, you know, when, when, when if you're integrating grasses and, 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 and these herbal lays into your arable system, if you can either graze them or silage them as opposed to topping them, you really can get rid of a lot of weeds quickly. Um, and that's what we find in an organic system, that by the end of our cropping, we've got a lot of thistles and docks, black grass maybe, and um, after two or three years of grass, the field's perfectly clean. And obviously you're organic, so some of these things will be particularly important for you in that you've got kind of less tools available to a conventional farmer, but these would tie in really well with a conventional farm as well. Absolutely. Um, I think these, these um, yeah, these, 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 the added fertility, the improvements in soil structure um, that we see um, are cross-sector. Cross I think where we get a benefit from an organic system is probably in the fact that we can sell silage to dairy farmers, even though we're in Cambridgeshire, because um, and that helps the business stack up slightly. Which I think that enterprise may not be there for most arable farmers, but it could be. Yeah. But certainly, working with um, you know uh, with graziers and, and and the sheep sector is definitely possible. Um, and how, depending on how long people want to have the lays into the system. Um, you know, it, it could be our pursuit in the future that we start grazing um, our beef cattle uh, on those lays. But, yeah, I definitely think um, that they're not organic-specific. And I think it's a bit of fun, actually. You can uh, spend a lot of time thinking about where my grass is, where am I going to put these grass lays, and, and what does that part of the farm need? Is it soil structure improvement? Is it weed control? Is it fertility? And then really thinking of how I working with seed suppliers to work out what's the best composition of lay that I can put in. And what we found, um, you know, is that actually in years of um, droughts, particularly this year and, and in 2018, the lays really help our business risk. Because if you add in the premium that I'm getting by turning store lambs into fat lambs, the fee from the grazier and the value of the silage I'm making, you know, those th- those fields of grass are actually profitable. They're not just cost neutral, they're profitable, especially in periods of drought when um, prices tend to go up for store lambs and uh, fat lambs and silage is more valuable. Yeah. So we're finding that they complement the biz. In a year where spring barley made you rubbish because of a drought, that some of that yield penalty on the spring barley is being offset by profit from a grass lay so they work really well as a risk management hedging tool against combinable crops i think okay and what other crops are growing in your rotation so what we tend to do is we have um uh it's, it's a bit iterative but um we have two years of this sort of herbal fertility lay which can have things like lucerne chicory vetch trefoil grasses 
um, and then we we um, took a late, uh, sorry, an early cut of silage off that um, around say late May, and then we use our driest months on the farm are June and July, mm-hmm. so we um, subsoil the lays out or disc them out. We don't basically not plough them, mm-hmm. um, and try to keep all that benefit of two or three years of lay in, in, in where we want it, which is right where the seed is going to eventually go. So we disc those out, um, and then we plant winter wheat in that. Um, and then following winter wheat, we tend to have either oats, winter oats, or winter rye. Um, and then that is followed by a spring barley, which we under-sow the next year's lay into. Okay. That's roughly the rotation. So it's, um, yeah. Uh, and then the under-sowing really does help, particularly, I think, in the fact that under-sowing means you create this little moist, humid microclimate for the clovers and the grasses to grow underneath the barley, which in a period of big climate extremes, having that kind of microclimate is better, I think, than having a bare acre field. You know, we've a good example is that we under-sowed lays in May, and then we also sowed just a, a bare you know, bare acre field with no crop in it. And the field with no crop in it, where we're just putting clover into the soil, um, it, it failed because of the drought. But where we under-sowed, the, the under-sowing has worked perfectly. I think that really is because of the sort of microclimate that the crop is protecting that clover. So how long have you been growing these herbal lays? And obviously weed control is very important for you as an organic farmer. Um, but have you seen any changes in things like um, crop productivity or yield as well? Inevitably, uh, so we've been using the whole time we've been organic, so before I sort of came. But mm. I think where we felt is that um, making the lays work harder by silaging them, grazing them, um, uh, using graziers, it means that they're becoming more effective at, at all three elements of what we want them to do. And those three elements are improving soil structure, adding fertility, and managing weeds. If we were continually topping them, I don't think that the plant would would need to go and put down deep roots to access minerals and nutrients. Therefore, I don't think it would fix as much nitrogen or improve soil structure as much. And I don't think the topping helps us manage the weeds because it just creates a bit of a mulch. Yeah. Whereas actually grazing and silaging helps not only remove the weed matter, but also because we're taking that plant material away from the field, it stimulates the roots to grow deeper. Um, so it's adding more fertility and it's improving soil structure. But one thing we have definitely found that's really important, I think, in the future environmental land management schemes and, and, and maybe private carbon markets is that I don't think this is just about going organic. I think the lays are a big part of this, is that our soil organic matter has increased. So the amount of carb not only does that benefit the farm's profitability and yields, and yields are on an upward trajectory within our organic system, but also the amount of carbon we're sequestering um, is increasing in our soils. So that could provide another enterprise for the business in, 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 in trading that carbon. Yeah, because did I read something about you guys being carbon negative or carbon neutral? Yeah, so um, the and the big part of what we sequester, what we uh, take out of the atmosphere and put into our, our farm, is is the um, is the improvements in the soil. And I think the lays, and also trying to not cultivate deeply our, our lays, but uh, our soil, so avoiding ploughing where we can and using these shallow disking the lays and whatnot is meaning that our soil organic matter is increasing or the total carbon in our soil is increasing and that is 75% of what we sequester so you know being organic helps because we're not putting on fertilizer which is a big carbon um, uh, source uh, emission but it's not just about that it's about what and, and, and I think it's just in general organic or not farms soils have a huge potential to absorb a lot of carbon and we're just starting on that journey but it's amazing how a tiny change in soil organic matter is a huge amount of carbon um, 
So yeah, the lathe have their definitely have their part to play in that. And obviously, there's a lot of different ways to do it um, when it comes to kind of integrating livestock. But what are your top tips for a, a successful rotation? My top tips would be, um, I think if you can if, if you can work if you're an animal farmer if you can work in partnership with somebody. So we work in partnership with a number of sort of dairy farms uh, who um, need silage, and we sort of arrange that, um, and that helps add a bit of value to the system. Uh, and the other one is we work with a great grazier. Um, so recognizing that you know we get a small fee from the grazier, but actually the benefit isn't isn't necessarily the fee he brings in; it's what he's doing, his sheep are doing to our soils. So working in partnership means you don't have to you know, uh, own all the kits or, or have to have your own livestock. Um, I know it's, we're very fortunate to have one, but, um, you know, the way we worked with him means that he's able to grow his business and we've been able to grow ours. So it doesn't mean that you, you don't need a thousand years to start off with to work with somebody. They could start small and that enterprise could grow. So, yeah, I think work in partnership. And I think also the other top tip is, is really work with the seed companies to work out what plants you should be growing in your lays and uh, how they can benefit the stock and the soil. You know, we like chicory because it's a natural wormer, but it's also got a deep taproot, so it helps improve soil structure and it helps keep our sheep healthy. You know, there's some real synergies and benefits between the stock and, and the soil. Yeah, absolutely, and we're going to hear a little bit about soil health in a second. Thank you, Callum. No, Alice, thank you very much. Thanks. Hi, I'm Natalie Wood, Yara's country arable agronomist, and I'm here to talk about ammonia emissions. Now, ammonia is a big problem in the UK, with 88% of emissions coming from agriculture. Of that, 23% are coming from fertilisers, so what can you do to reduce those emissions? Nitrate fertilisers have less than 3% ammonia emissions, therefore switching from urea to AN reduces ammonia emissions by 10 times. If using urea treated with an inhibitor, then the emissions from that are still double those from nitrates. Therefore, if you want to have some of the lowest ammonia emissions, use Yarabella Axan. For more information, please visit yara.co.uk. So we've heard a fair bit about herbal lays, short-term lays, and how they fit into the livestock arable rotation. But now we're going to hear some more about cover crops. So a lot of arable farmers are growing these now for soil health purposes. And Connor Campbell, Hutchinson's agronomist, is going to tell us a bit more. Hi, Connor. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. So, Connor, where you are in Northumberland, there's still a lot of mixed farms and having livestock in the rotation still isn't necessarily unusual. Um, but you say you're seeing growing interest from those that are purely arable to start thinking about introducing livestock again. Why do you think that is? I think, sort of as agriculture, there's a lot of uh, cycles in terms of everything goes right. You know, we move from being very much mixed farm and then we've had a trend of seeing people moving towards more specialization and i think as it as is everything in agriculture we're starting to come back around again um, a lot of the all arable farms have traditionally um you know either sort of sold things like straw off the land and obviously having to replace that with artificial phosphate and, and potassium from from an artificial source uh, and i think what they're starting to see is the benefit to that that sort of older sort of old-fashioned maybe uh, mixed farming where that that straw would have been coming back as as manure from whether it was a you know a cattle enterprise or sheep and and the sort of benefits that they're getting from that in terms of putting that back into the cycle again and back to the land yeah and i guess there's a financial benefit to that as well yeah and i think there's a lot of focus certainly in the last you know after the season that we've been through we've all experienced but in the last couple of years in terms of sort of budgets and gross margins and I think a lot of people are looking at ways of kind of reducing the amount of cost that is involved in growing crops and obviously you know P&K fertilizers are very expensive and to replace the amount of offtake that you get not only from the crop but from taking that straw off the land for example it, you know that cost does start to add up quite a lot yeah. people start seeing lorry loads of 
being cave fertilizer arriving on the farm. And then they're starting to look at, you know, maybe their neighbors who have got livestock who are putting a lot of manure on. And, you know, I deal with a few people, for example, where there is no P and K fertilizer put on as in an artificial form. There is none of that put on. It all comes from the manures that are put back in, back onto that land from the, the livestock system. And I think, you know, it's it's hard not to take notice of that and to, to look at the cost saving that there is in terms of not having to buy P and K not having to spread it, the cost that you have from spreading it as well. Um, and, and then there's other benefits that you get from from sort of livestock systems in terms of the manure. You know, it's not just the, the nutrient side of it, as you know, you do have a massive benefit from that, but it, you also get a sort of increased uh, biodiversity that you get from uh, from manure in terms of the, you know, the, the sort of biological side of things and, and the soil health you yeah. get from that as well that you don't get from artificial fertilizers and i guess having a lot of mixed farms around you it's probably hard to quantify the benefits that having livestock in the rotation brings um just because it's always been that way but farms that are solely arable what could introducing livestock do for things more specific to soil health and rotation i think as i was saying you you get a lot more than just the sort of nutrient benefits from manure and it is hard to quantify it because it obviously depends on the system that that manure originates from, um, you know, whether it's intense cattle or, or sort of a dairy system, for example, you know, the manures will vary greatly, but you get a, you're sort of feeding that soil biodiversity, with sort of the, the bacteria and the microbes that you get from, from manure. You also get a lot of trace elements um, that, that come in muck, and obviously they vary greatly depending on the enterprise that that muck's coming from as well. But, you know, you're getting a whole host of beneficial uh, nutrients and, and so on being put back into that soil that you just can't really mimic from anything artificial. You know, if it's when we're talking sort of, you know, artificial fertilizer, that, that is all that you can feed. Whereas when you're putting the manure back on, you know, you the soil biology is benefiting greatly from, from that being added back into the system you just can't really I don't feel replicate with anything that's sort of man-made or artificial yeah the farm that we're on they sort of um they have turnips over winter and sheep graze them and you can you can physically see sort of field to field which ones have had sheep on over winter and which ones haven't yeah exactly and you know there's a there'll be a few people in this area that will grow stubble turnips and will graze them over winter um, and then that idea can kind of be stolen a little bit or borrowed uh, in, in an arable system. Well, obviously, bear in mind that you have to have infrastructure like fencing and so on to be able to contain, uh, you know, the sheep that will be grazing them. But, you know, that, that can be brought in and, and that can be added into the arable system. Not only does that then allow you to diversify the rotation in terms of adding a crop in there that you don't normally grow, but it's another income source. Um, which can help you know ease the burden in terms of the seed cost and so on but it allows you to not have all of your eggs in one basket and uh, I think again with maybe the season that we've been through a lot of people are looking to kind of distribute the the risk a little bit more and yeah. if you know that you've got other income sources in terms of you've got somebody over winter that's going to come in and graze these fields um, for you and you're going to get an income from that then you know I think that's very appealing when it comes to the sort of you know the risk that we have from growing crops especially with the way the climate seems to be going at the minute that it's very sort of all or nothing we're getting a lot of extremes and then moving on to cover crops um these obviously play quite an important role in all of this and i guess which species a grower chooses will depend on you know their farm and preference of the person supplying the livestock but what advice can you give to arable farmers about things like how to manage them and maybe selecting a, a particular species yeah i think you know it's going to depend greatly on where you are in the country the climate you have the sort of drilling window and and the amount of time that it's going to be in the ground for uh, there's a lot of talk obviously about sort of diversifying rotation and cover cropping is quite a, uh, an immediate way of doing that um, because what really I would say is you, you look to grow species in that cover that you don't already grow um, in your rotation for a, sort of a few reasons. One, as I said, it allows you to diversify that rotation but also 
you're kind of getting away from uh, adding in more pressure for things like pests and diseases. If you're quite a sort of intense cereal producer, if you then start to add in cereals into a, a cover crop, then you're really just, you know, you, you, are, you run the risk of creating some problems for yourself. Yeah. So, you know, if, if it's just being grown as a cover crop and that it's not going to be grazed or anything, for example, then, you know, you, you really uh, kind of, you, you've got free reign as to what you want to choose. I think, as I said, I would look at, at elements you don't already grow on the farm and, and try and go for a diverse mix so that, A, you get different benefits in terms of shallow rooting species that will help to condition that soil, but also, you know, maybe some, some deeper roots to help uh, break up any compaction that you might have. Um, you also be looking at some of your, your leguminous plants, which will help to fix nitrogen, and that will obviously benefit the following crop. And, and look at uh, having a sort of... Uh, at least a, a mix of sort of four or five or six different species in there. Some people feel that that might be too much, but, you know, you put this cover crop in, you don't know what the weather's going to do, and so some species might flourish in, under different climatic conditions. And if you have a sort of a multi-way mix in, then you're kind of covering yourself for that, that weather. Um, if it's, you know, if you're looking at grazing it, um then you might have to, because obviously you're asking someone to come in and to pay you to, to graze those fields, that you might be looking at species that benefit a livestock uh, enterprise a bit more. So you might then have to start looking at things like the grasses um, and your clovers and so on, um, so that not only do you get a benefit from it, but whoever's paying to graze that field also gets a benefit out of it as well. And people that are already growing cover crops, it's, that is quite a nice way to kind of spread risk a bit and spread your cost. Yeah, and, and it's, I think it's the, the one sort of uh, comment that's always regularly made to me when I'm talking about cover crops is that the cost of seed and that it's hard to see where that benefit comes in, a, in, in terms of the sort of financial side of it. And then it's true, if you know, if you just look on paper, it is quite hard. Obviously, you're paying for a cover and then to see that coming back um, it is quite hard because what you what you will see is is the benefits throughout the whole rotation. You know, if you've got something uh, a clover, for example, that's fixing nitrogen, and then you put that field into wheat, well, that nitrogen will benefit the following crop, and you might see benefits in terms of if you improve your soil structure, then you know you need you need to do less cultivations. You've got less draft being put onto the tractor and the machinery, and therefore you might reduce your diesel costs, but it is hard to pinpoint those, but you will start to see them over time. Um, and it's just about sort of continuing with the system and trusting that eventually it will start to, to come right and you will start to see those benefits. Where things like grazing come into it is that it does help initially cover the cost of that seed, for example, maybe, or, or even just go part of the way to covering the cost of having that cover crop in. And as you rightly pointed out, you've got those fields next to you that get grazed with sheep on stubble turnips and, and you know you see the benefit immediately in the following crop because it's had that the manure from the sheep and so on being put back into the system then those benefits are immediate and if you've, if you've helped to cover the cost of some of that by having somebody come in and graze it then you know it's sort of a win-win for everybody um, there's always plenty of livestock farmers around certainly that I know of that are always looking for extra extra forage or extra feed or just somewhere to put sheep so they're not putting as much pressure on on their land over winter um, and, and if you if you speak to people locally i'm sure that you can find somebody that will be very keen to work with you and and and, and graze graze the cover and then when it comes to actually grazing that cover what rules do both parties really need to stick to in order to get the most out of it yeah and i think this is one of the ones where you know I, certainly where we've been doing it we, we've learned the lesson the hard way um, that you need to be working with somebody who is you know maybe as committed to it and, and understands what you're trying to achieve by adding that in um, so somebody that you know they obviously want to get the most out of out of that crop that they're grazing but that you need to be mindful that what you don't want to do is start overgrazing it um, and, and even running the risk of sort of poaching the land because you're then negating the benefit of having that cover in so you want to work with somebody who who will also keep an eye on it and, and will you know if they're if they're strip grazing it for example or, or something like that then they'll move the sheep um, 
up and, and not graze it too much and leave you with enough cover and protection on the soil that that you're still getting that benefit out of the cover. And I know that in the past where um, I've had sort of fields have been grazed, they have been grazed too much, nearly down to sort of bare soil, and we have had major issues with poaching. But, you know, we sort of learnt that lesson now and, and we'll carry that forward with us as we as we move on. And I guess that's where building that relationship with the person that's keeping the livestock there is really important. Thanks very much, Connor. No, that's fine. All right, well, And on that topic of good relationships, last but by no means least, we have Robert Spink here. He's a first-generation sheep farmer from Suffolk, and he's going to speak to us about the agreements he has with local arable farmers and how working alongside them has helped him grow his very own flock. Hiya, Robert. Hello, Alice. How are you doing? I'm not so bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good. So I guess the best place to start is kind of your background, because you did actually grow up on a farm, didn't you? Yeah, no, um, yeah, I've been born and raised on the farm, yeah. Um, it was, we had at home, as I was growing up, was a small um, arable, arable farm that sort of Dad did, well, I helped him out, but Dad did sort of part-time, he had another business in Bury. so um, we actually sort of started variable farming, really. Okay, so where did the sheep kind of fall into this then? So Dad passed away when I was 21, um, and I ended up um, doing the farm. Um, so I sort of started doing the arable, um, sort of continuing that on. Um, as it was a small farm, I sort of did a lot of self-employed work as well, tractor driving, uh, lorry driving in the winter time, um, and sort of other bits as well, to sort of just keep things going along for me. Um, and then ended up getting just getting 12 sheep um, and met a local shepherd, to cut a very long story short. Um got really into it and he helped me along and sort of mentored me if you will um and uh yeah it's just sort of gone from there really and we sort of ended up um actually the farm at home now is all down to grass and um forage crops um and we sort of built, I managed to build the sheep up sort of to, to where it is now and sort of uh, the other stuff we do with the sheep as well so that's sort of yeah we sort of changed quite a lot in the last six or seven years really yeah that's quite a drastic change so how many sheep have you got now um, we run about six hundred at home, okay. and then and then um, we um, uh, sort of contract manage, um, if you will, um, another thousand um, New Zealand Romneys for organic farmer in Suffolk. Okay, because you're over in the east, aren't you? That's sort of quite a predominantly arable area, really. Yeah, well, fairly arable, really. Yeah, I mean, there is more and more livestock, I would say, coming along um, now. Sort of certainly more than when even when I first started with sheep. Um, but uh, yeah, we um, it was certainly more predominant areas sort of Barry Edmonds, around Barry Edmonds and stuff like that. Okay, and has that worked to your advantage then when you're kind of looking for, I don't know, overwinter keep and things like that? Yeah, certainly. Um, when, when, so when, when I first started out, um, we had a couple of meadows set at the farm, which we sort of just started on with, and then um, managed to pick up. Uh, little bits of grazing here, there, and everywhere. Um, sort of people's sort of four or five acre fields, that, you know, meadows that, or paddocks that they had, and sort of different um, bits and bobs. And then that sort of side of things um, sort of kept, kept growing. But then on top of that, we sort of kept on picking up, um, yeah, cover, cover crops really. Um, when it all seemed to start getting more and more um, sort of cover crops being put in, we managed to pick up quite a lot as that as we rolled along as well. So that's been really helpful um, to me. So particularly out wintering sheep, or certainly going through the, um, the metal state of the winter outside on um, on cover crops. Okay, and how does that work? So you, I don't know, you liaise with the farmer, and then you you put out electric fencing, um, and yeah. yeah so basically, the whole the whole all of the sheep, all of the sheep over both the farms that we deal with, are basically on electric fencing. So it's sort of. It's just sort of something I've always known. If you know, we don't really have hardly any permanent fencing, really. So we just this is what we do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically for the cover crops, yeah, it's, a lot of it's actually just um, local farmers that I sort of know. A lot of it's local farmers that I know anyway. Um, so there's no sort of real. There's, um, I suppose a lot of it's done on sort of gentleman's agreement, really. But basically, we um, tend to pay, you know, per sheep per week. Um, okay. Sheep go on to the, the cover crop that's gone in. Um, and then we take obviously full responsibility for the sheep fencing, water, and um, shepherding, and whatnot. 
and um, then we sort of move off when time comes or when we finish grazing and cultivate again in the spring and off we go again sort of thing. So you, they don't really have any involvement with the sheep. You you come along, um, like check them, check the fencing and stuff, um, and then sort of pay a rate per head. That's not what we tend to do, yeah. But the, what, in, yeah, that's what we tend to do. With some of the agreements, we do pay sort of per acre um, okay. on some of the on some of the costs. But generally, I, I try and keep it to per head per week. Uh, it just sort of suits me really. But um, yeah, we sometimes do a per acre. But Jeff basically. It's often known that I'll meet the farmer, um, we'll have a look round, show me the fields, and I probably won't see him again until the end of it. So, yeah. you know, just we basically literally know where the fields are, um, move the sheep on, and then, you know, we, we just go from there, really. I say that the arable farmer has, you know, nothing to do with the sheep, no responsibility, no... Um, I mean, some, I know some people probably work it in where the sort of out farm may, may have a little glance over them or whatever, but, yeah, we, we on our arrangements, we do all of the checking and... Um, and uh, obviously all the husbandry and everything else. Yeah, and it sounds like a good arrangement. Yeah, yeah basically the whole thing is you just have to be um, be responsible for what, what you're doing, really, um, and discuss from the outset where where you are and what what you know what the out what the plan of action is, really. Um, generally, with what we're grazing, um, we can just sort of you know actually people are keenest if we can take it right down to the floor, basically at the finish, because um, we. You know, then they can get on with their cultivations or whatever else. But um, no, it's always set out from the start what the plan is, or sort of rough date of when we want to be getting the sheep off. Um, and the bait, you know, just have to be responsible, you know, best you can be to just get everything, you know, keep everybody happy. Really, it's got it can be a bit of a juggling match, but um, yeah, just keep everybody happy and um, and do what you say you're going to do, really, and just be sort of on the ball with it and make sure you you get the job right, really. Yeah, and kind of as a young farmer, without these opportunities on arable farms, would you have been able to get your flock to the kind of size it is now? I certainly would struggle through the winter time without the opportunities with the with the cut the crops. We tend we're actually we're actually changing our system. Actually, we're, we're now um, going to change the sheep at home to the New Zealand Romney and go outside having so it'd be more it'd be more even more important to um to get the sheep overwintered properly on these cover crops. But at the moment, we're um, running um, mules and milk uh, cross text crosses and stuff like that um sort of just commercial sheep really so we um tend to go on to cover crops all winter get the ewes in really fine order and then they go into the sheds for lambing is what we, we tend to do so sort of late february um, and then we go on to the haylage which and the, the cake which is obviously um expensive and if we had to do that mm-hmm. for the whole window which just wouldn't work really so um to be able to carry them right through the the mainstay of the winter outside and then bring them into the sheds for lamb and just worked really nicely for us yeah and the sheep do come for cover crops in fine order they, they always come off the sheep off, off in good order ready for lambing. yeah brilliant and in terms of liaising with growers how do you reach out to them or do they get in contact with you or is it really just a case of kind of people that you already know um generally it's been people i've already known or through friends that have worked for people or done other contracting work for people that and um such like um i suppose it, um perhaps not so much now but certainly when i first started out um there is a, there, there is certainly people about with sheep but there's a limited number of people about with sheep mm-hmm. in this area so um, we were quite lucky to sort of get a foot in the door early i suppose um and there's sort of you know other other people sheep about that um, have other farms and other cover crops um there's a lot there's a lot about here actually to be fair you shouldn't think about it um there's a lot there's a lot of cover crops grazed actually um but uh, yeah we just sort of tend to just be sort of get yourself about in the area and know people and you know people know we've got sheep and people tend to ring up or if we see a cover crop in the ground sometimes you've got to knock on the door and stuff like that you know it's just 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 keep plugging away at trying to pick it up really yeah well, it sounds like a win-win situation. You get somewhere to keep your sheep. They've got livestock on their farm without any of the hassle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we take all the hassle out of it. <laughs> a lot of stuff in this area, the cover crops going in anyway. Um, some of the lighter land, people like to put it in over winter time. You know, to cover the ground and stuff like that. And there's all that talk about you know um, preserving nutrients or whatever. Yeah. Um, so people are putting cover crops in anyway, and if they've got to spend the money on the seed and um, you know the establishment costs. Um, and then also end up spraying it off or flailing it or doing something with it at the finish. If they can just get some money back um, from having somebody graze it, um, and also you know cut down the work and go straight in with the cultivator afterwards, um, and 
and also um, reap any benefits that the sheep bring on top of the cover crop, if you see what I mean. Then, yeah. Um, there's, there's certainly benefits there, really. Yeah, it just sort of it just seems to work around here that people put it in and they're going to put it anyway, and then may as well get a bit of money in come in and come from it. Yeah, because I I have a small flock of sheep and I use electric fencing um, and kind of put them round an arable farm that we rent some land from, and yeah. I I had just absolute nightmares with the electric fencing to begin with like they would just literally walk through it they wouldn't even bat an eyelid so i've kind yeah. of learned how you do it now so i bought a really yeah, learn, yeah just take, just just take it just takes um it, it takes, takes a bit time. of learning yeah yeah no it does make, it does make sense i think um you just gotta have to, i think we're we're probably a little bit different out of this way than you might say sort of in the west country or something like that that um as i said at the start we're just I just don't know anything different than electric fencing, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. Just what we've, got, we've got about, you know, I don't know, sort of like 20 paddocks of sheep in electric fencing sort of thing, you know, like just like all over the show. And it's just what we do, you know. Um, but if you, some people I know sort of shepherds over in the West Country that, you know, hate the idea of electric, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, so you've got to sort of be up for that side of it because there's a lot of work involved in that. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of work goes into it and it's, you know, you've got to be on the ball with it and, you, yeah, you do get some time for it and you get a lot of sheep out and stuff like that, but, you know, if it happens all, sometimes, you know, um, but you've got to be up for it and just react if there's a problem and, and sort it out, you know, but, um, yeah, we just sort of know, which is what we do, you know, and I do, yeah, it just, it just really, it does work very, very well. We finish a lot of, we finish a lot of lambs on it, to be honest, like fodder radish and stuff like that, you can really, it just works really well. Great. Well, hopefully this podcast will inspire a few young farmers like yourself or maybe an arable farmer to get in contact with their local shepherd. Thanks very much, Rob. No problem, Alice. Thank you very much. And I'm afraid that is all we've got time for for today. But I hope this episode gave you a bit of inspiration about the many different ways to do things. So whether you want to improve soil health, spread costs of a cover crop a bit, or as Liz said, just give someone a helping hand. Thanks for joining me and see you next time. Bye.